0: Over the next month, members of Fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to the Elder Board. In our church governance structure, the Elder Board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our body. We are not a church with elders, we are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. Here is what we are asking members of Fellowship to do. First. Please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the Office of Elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash and complete the online form. Please read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. If you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick up one at the information desk in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualifications of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 11th. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the process of recognizing new elders. Finally. We thank Scott Thompson and Roger Hill for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, please thank these gentlemen for their faithful service. On another note, a few of the buildings on our Rogers campus need some attention. The Family Center was completed in 1991. The Worship Center and Foyer were completed in 1999. That's a quarter of a century. The elders have approved moving forward with much needed improvements to those buildings. The cost is estimated to be approximately $4.5 million. We don't want to go into debt for this project, and we have proven on initiatives of much larger scale that we can get this done if all our congregations work together. My wife Denise and I will be setting up monthly recurring gifts to do our part and I hope you will too. No gift is too large or too small. And remember, it's not about equal giving, but equal sacrifice. On the giving page of our website, you will find capital improvements. You can make a contribution there or set up recurring gifts. We already have $1.3 million in donations, so we are well on our way. God continues to do great things through Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. Thank you for playing an active role in this great ministry. God bless you, everyone.
1: Family, how are y'all doing today? If you good, say I am. Y'all can't see this, but there are a bunch of cute little babies sitting on the front row. It's, it's child parent dedication today, so... Try not to be distracted this morning by all their cuteness. I've got one being dedicated at ten thirty, so I'll be, I'll be right, right in there with you guys. Well, I walked out this morning. I guess it was around five, five thirty a.m. I was on my way up here and happened to still be dark outside, and so I just happened to look up as I struggled to get all my guitars and all my gear packed up in the car, and just stars were, were beautiful and. So I kind of tried to cover up the street lights with my hands so I could see the stars a little bit more. And I could and just was reminded, um, I don't know, just reminded of a creator, of a God who cares for us. Uh, God who made those stars was fully aware of me, trying to not spill my coffee this morning. And uh, and you know, it's oftentimes I can I can consider God as being far off, far away, like, yes, He hears me, yes, He cares, but He's far off. but. That's not the case because of Jesus because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and our faith and all that um, Now uh, God has decided to make his home within us. Amen among us and within us. one of the most amazing things about the New Covenant is Christ in us, the very Spirit of God indwelling his people and so we're going to teach you a new song. it's called a uh, House of Of the Lord and it says there's joy in the house of the Lord amen and that's true right there's joy in the house of the Lord our hope has been made complete in Christ Jesus so would you stand with us as we worship this morning
2: the work of Christ within us. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. Sing it out. We were the beggars, and now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, and now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. So let the house of the Lord sing praise. Now we were the beggars out.
3: Morning. How are y'all doing today? Good. You guys can have a seat. My name is Matt Archer. This is Robin Yates. And we are wearing the same shirt today, Robin. This is yeah. so embarrassing. Oh my goodness. All right.
4: If you volunteer, you can wear the same shirt too.
3: <laughs> That's right. Look we'll at your free t-shirt. We're so excited to have you. Hey, we have some exciting things coming up this week. Um, First of all, we have Operation Christmas Child boxes are due next Sunday. So it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas starting next week, right? That's that's the official start to Christmas. How many of y'all already have your trees up in the house? Okay. (laughs) That was a trap. The Thanksgiving police are right outside and they're waiting to talk to you. Hey, those shoeboxes are due next week, and so we would love to have you guys turn those in next week. You can still grab one today, but we need those in by next week. And so we're excited to see a lot of you guys panic shopping on Saturday night <laughs> at Walmart. Uh, just, just smile and wave at everybody else in there. We also tonight have Springdale Fit Gathering at the Helen Tyson Middle School. Go Hornets! That's in Springdale and During that time, we'll be talking about what it looks like um, to help the homeless population in Springdale and what it looks like to serve these families in transition. And so we'll some time in discussion, spending some time in prayer, and dividing up the families for for the Fit Christmas initiative. And so we would love to see you tonight. That's from 6 to 7.30 at Helen Tyson Middle School in Springdale. And the last thing we have is next week... Mr. Dr. Mark Bailey is going to be here. And we wanted you guys to know, just in case, um, Sam is up to teach today. And if that's not up to your theological um, standards, <laughs> then Dr. Bailey will be here next week. Rob, what's your favorite Dr. Bailey thing? Um, yeah, what's your favorite Dr. Bailey thing?
4: Well, I've heard that he carries gummy bears in his pockets. Yeah. So, so. that's pretty cool.
3: If, you, if you'd like a gummy bear, please go up and ask him next <laughs> week. That would be awesome if you could get a, say, hey, do you have any warm gummy bears? That'd be great. <laughs> hey, one of our favorite things is happening today. We are having parent-child dedications. We have some amazing families and some super cute kids up today. And so, Robin... What does that look like today?
4: It's awesome. We're so excited. Like Matt said, we have some really cute kids today, so we're excited about that. Um, Let me just start by introducing the Flemisters, Frances Sinclair. So they say Frankie is our smiley baby. She loves to play patty cake, smile, and look at her sister. She's the sweetest addition to our family. And the Flemisters are also dedicating Wilson Jane. They say Wilson loves to read books, play with baby dolls. She loves going to see Jesus and getting a donut in the lobby for Mrs. Pam. She wants to grow up to be a teacher. So this is Matthew, Amanda, and their girls. <laughs> We have Grady, Jess, Gossett. He's practiced already walking up on stage. His parents are Alex and Jessalyn, and he has a big brother, Ellis. They say that Grady is like the Sour Patch Kids from the commercial. So he smiles and is so sweet but can turn ornery in a heartbeat. (laughs) So they say he loves his dad and mama and his brother, who he also affectionately calls mama. (laughs) <laughs> so, Grady was born four days before Christmas, and he's such a huge gift to our family, <laughs> and that curly hair. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have Corbin Danielle Harrell, sweet daughter of Max and Josie. This is sweet for me because I got to meet Josie when she was about Corbin's age, so it's very sweet. Corbin has such a joyous spirit. She loves music and watching her puppies. Her smile and laugh are contagious, and we are blessed to be her parents. Yeah, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Sutton James Morrow. Her parents are Grayson and Bailey. Sutton is the most precious blessing. We love our silly, curious, and sweet baby girl, she has brought so much joy, love, and laughter into our lives. She wasn't sure she wanted the bow on. She decided to go with it. She's
3: dealing with it
5: really well.
4: That's right. <laughs> Next, we have Joseph Xavier Pinto. Oh, I'm sorry. Joseph Xavier, his parents, Jay and Baby. Lots of big brothers, you can see Isaac, right. All the boys. Benny and Samuel. Look at this handsome bunch of boys. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Joseph is a blessing beyond measure. So loved by his four brothers who enjoy playing, holding, and caring for him. His favorite place to be is on someone's lap. His sweet laughs and unique ways melt our hearts every day. He's a smiler too. So... (laughs) Next, we have Lydia Joy Smith, parents Jacob and Natalie, and big brother Sawyer. Lydia is a true joy to our family. She's full of smiles and laughs, and she loves watching her big brother play, bouncing, swinging, and books. So here are kiddos today.
5: It's
3: amazing. (laughs) It's so awesome to see the future of our church up here. And that's great. Families, we are so excited to partner with y'all as you raise your kids to know and follow Jesus. And I have a charge for you. And if you would commit to this, we ask that you say we will at the end of all these statements. Will you commit to pray for your children all the days of your life? Will you model a godly lifestyle for them? Will you live a life focused on God and His Word? Will you train your children up in the way that they should go? Will you commit to a marriage focused on Christ and one another? If so, say we will. And, church. Y'all are going to be helping raise these kids. You guys are going to be the greeters, the the check-in people, the community group, and the friends to these families and these kids. You're going to be cell group hosts and, and leaders. And so we, as a church, have a commitment to make to them. And so, congregation, I ask you this. Will you commit to pray for these and all the children here at Fellowship? Will you take the opportunity to encourage, serve, and invest in these children and these families at fellowship? And if so, say, we will. We will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for each of these children. And Lord, we pray that you would be near and real to each and every one of them. Father, we thank you for Frankie. And I pray that she would continue to grow in love and joy and she may, she may know you well and know you from an early age, Father. Lord, we thank you for Wilson. And Lord, I pray that she would praise you with every breath that she has. Hey, there's,
5: um, there's and she's my
3: little your little sister is your picture, huh? That's so cool. Lord, we thank you so much for Grady. And Father, I pray that he would learn to walk in your ways. And Lord, he would follow you with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Father, we thank you for Corbin. And Lord, I pray that she would seek you and your strength. And Lord, she would grow up in your presence continually. Father, we thank you for Sutton. Lord, I pray that she would know your peace. And know your joy, Father. And I pray that you would go before her all the days of her life. Lord, we thank you for Joseph. And Lord, I pray that he would know what plans you have for him from an early age, Father. I pray that he would know that he was fully loved and known by you, Lord. And Father, we pray for Lydia. I pray that she would be clothed in strength and dignity. I pray that she would speak with wisdom and truth and, Father, that that she would follow you faithfully all the days of her life. Lord, we thank you for these families. Lord, I pray that these kids would grow to love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, Lord, as a church, I pray that your spirit would continue to remind us to lift these families up and to partner with them in raising their kids, the next generation, to know and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Church, thank you all so much. Families, thank you all so much. As these families are going down, I think, we have a, I think we have a picture of all of them up there. If y'all would take out your phones and take a picture of that, I would love for you to have a reminder of each of these kids to be praying for them um, all the days of their life. Thank y'all so much.
1: What a blessing. What a blessing. As we enter in a, into a time of, of giving, I want to ask that uh, we just remember the goodness of God and the great giver and that we give from the heart with joy and not reluctant. Amen. Let's sing this together. Bless the Lord.
2: Bless the Lord of oh my soul. Oh my soul. Worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I will worship your holy name. The sun comes up. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawn. It's time to sing a song again whatever may pass And whatever lies before Let me be singing When the evening comes Amen Let's sing it together Bless the Lord Bless the Lord, oh my soul Worship his holy name, sing like, sing like never before, oh my soul, I will worship your holy name, you're rich, you're rich in love, you're slow to away. your name is great, your heart so kind for all of your goodness I will keep on singing Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find sing it out bless the Lord who oh, bless the Lord
1: stand together. Continue singing. Our corners, we're made,
2: we're made strong in the same. Through our storms, through ours, He's still, He still, Lord. He's Lord of you.
1: Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you that we have been united to him. We've become one spirit with you and that we've also been united to one another. So through your spirit and through your written word, Lord, I just pray today you help us understand what that means a little bit better. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen. You may be seated.
6: Well, have you ever been a part of a good, old-fashioned church conflict? Have you ever entered the octagon of church disputes? Have you ever fought your way through a Sunday night church business meeting or fired off an angry email to the church leadership voicing your displeasure? Dr. Tom Rayner shared some interesting reasons for church conflict that he gained through an online survey. One church found itself disputing they were divided over the appropriate length of the pastor's beard. Hmm. Have you ever thought about that one? What is the appropriate length of a godly beard? Can you have a Gandalf-looking James hardened beard wearing teaching pastor? I mean, I don't know. I think we do know what the appropriate length of a teaching pastor's beard is. I think our own <laughs> Caleb Freeman, it's starting to get longer, but what does Caleb's beard really say? It says I'm old enough to drive the church van. <laughs> I'm no longer a youth pastor. I pay attention to personal grooming and his beard looks awesome with a flannel shirt. Another church found itself in an argument over which picture of Jesus to hang in the church foyer. Hmm. There was a congregation thrown into conflict over whether the youth group could borrow the church crock pot. Can you imagine those crazy kids on their soup night (laughs) with their TikTok? There was a church that got into a dispute over whether it was appropriate to actually use cran grape instead of grape juice for communion. And we all know you got to use what Jesus did. He used the Welch's. You, <laughs> you, can't, you can't do the cran grape. Can't do that. Ocean spray's out. Sorry to the ocean spray vendors. Don't email me, but Welch's Send Products. One church had a dispute over whether you should serve deviled eggs at the church potluck. And that's pretty legit. I mean, on that one, I'm like, oh, I can understand that because, you know, the enemy's sneaky (laughs) with the side items. One dispute arose over who should have copy machine privileges. You don't need to be making personal copies of your resume using the Lord's toner. Watch that one. One church was actually divided over the introduction of a stronger blend of coffee. Can you imagine that? And you know that that conflict had been brewing for some time. (laughs) And they had sufficient grounds to (laughs) depart. You want me to keep going? Because I have no filter on these. We better study the Bible. Open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're in week 10 of a 12-week study of this New Testament epistle. This has been our fall teaching series. I hope you've been challenged by it. And guess what we're going to find in our passage today? We're actually going to see an example of church conflict. Let's Let's dig in, look at chapter four, verse one. It's a transition verse. It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, you whom I I love, my joy and my crown stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. The passage begins with a transition word, therefore. In Bible study, when we see that word, therefore, it's a clue. It's telling us that this passage is actually an outflow of the previous one. It's pointing us back to what the apostle had just said. He said, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Well, in what way? Well, if you remember the previous chapter, the apostle Paul was delivering doctrinal instruction. We studied it for three straight weeks. He was trying to help the Philippian church think about their past and their present and their future condition in the Lord. And he instructed the Philippians in these three essential church doctrines, the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine of glorification. He said, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Find assurance in these essential doctrinal truths. And I found that sound doctrine has a way of leading us into rest and confidence. That good theological truth helps us to hold fast, to stand firm. They're like anchors that keep us from drifting or being swept away by falsehood or deceitful ways of thinking. So let me remind you of what we talked about over the last three weeks from Philippians chapter three. Justification refers to a believer's past Where by faith alone, in Christ alone, we gain freedom from the penalty of sin. And justification, we actually are legally declared forgiven and righteous in Christ. And if you're here today, this is your first day to come to fellowship. Maybe it's your first day in church or back in church in a long time. I want to remind you that God sent his son to this earth to pay a debt that you could never pay that was created by your own sinful choices and you're separated from a holy God, period. But God didn't leave you there. He came on a a search and rescue mission. He lived the perfect life. He died a death on the cross that you deserved. And he offers you forgiveness and holiness and righteousness, a second chance at life and eternity in heaven if you'll respond to his grace with your faith and repentance, that's justification. And man, do you need it. And we're here to help. Secondly, he talked about sanctification. Sanctification refers to the believer's present, where we partner with God in this progressive work of becoming more like Jesus and more free from sin in this life, in sanctification, we gained freedom from the power of sin. And then lastly, if we looked at glorification. That refers to the believer's future, where God finishes the work he began in us and completely transforms us into his likeness for all eternity. And if you were here last week, we left a people at peace, didn't we? And that's what the doctrine of justification should do in your life. And and doctrine of glorification should do. In glorification, we become free from the presence of sin. So Paul wanted his dear friends, those he loved like family, to be anchored in these truths. And he said, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Let the truth about your past, your present, your future position in Christ inform your heart, capture your mind, Rest secure in your position in Christ. Now, chapter four, verse one is like a bridge. It's really the concluding thought of the previous passage, but it's also announcing to us that there's a subject change. So move on down. Look at verses two and three. Paul here begins his final exhortations in the letter and he addresses a troublesome situation that was happening within the local church at Philippi. Let me read these two verses to you. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Apparently, a Disagreement occurred between two women in the church at Philippi. And it was certainly no small matter if news of the conflict had traveled all the way from Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece, across the sea to a prison cell in Rome. The division must have been a threat to the health and the effectiveness of the church for it to be noteworthy to the apostle Paul. If it was shared with Paul, then the division was more than just a juicy morsel of gossip from the home front. Now, this, this feud between these two ladies had upset the apostle enough that he felt a need to formally address it in his letter back to the Philippian church, which was probably delivered by Epaphroditus. You know, early in the letter, Paul mentioned two examples of unifying faithfulness in the church. Timothy And Epaphroditus here, he named two people as examples of potential division in the church. Euodia and Syntyche. Who were these two ladies? Well, these were not occasional, casual church attenders. These were core church members. They were in leadership. Look at verse 3. It says they contended at the apostle's side in the cause of the gospel. So the conflict was not a result of mere spiritual immaturity. These were faithful women of God. These were people that Paul considered both partners in the ministry. They contended at his side in the cause, but also true believers. He said their names are written in the book of life. But somehow they disagreed. They had become estranged from one another. Battle lines had been drawn. Feelings had been hurt. Offense had been taken And it was affecting the life and the mission of the church. Their conflict was jeopardizing the witness of the very gospel for which they had fought for side by side. So the apostle pleaded with them. He appealed to them. He asked them to get along, to reconcile, to be of the same mind. And he wanted them to prioritize unity within the church over proving their points or getting their way. And he not only pleaded with the ladies to be of the same mind, but he also asked for help in settling the dispute. Paul asked for help for someone in the passage that he called his true companion. This was the recipient of the letter. He was looking for assistance with somebody who was on the ground at the church at Philippi, somebody who could be like a local mediator. Now, there's been much speculation, and I'll leave this for your lunch discussion today, on the identity of the true companion. In fact, we just don't know. The identity of the unnamed mediator has remained a mystery over the years, but here's something that's fun. They knew exactly who he was talking to in that day, and we certainly do not. What was clear is the dispute between the two ladies required help. They needed an objective outside mediator to step in. So let's stop right here. After briefly studying the passage, I think we can see three truths emerge. We can make a few simple observations. One is churches have conflicts, people disagree. Even fellow believers can have a difference of opinion on how things can go. And as a result of that, feelings can be hurt, offense can be taken division can arise. A second simple observation is that reconciliation may require mediation. We see in the story that sometimes it helps to have somebody from the outside, an objective voice to come in and be the one who negotiates peace and reconciliation. And we see here the apostle Paul asking for help. Lastly, spiritual maturity does not necessarily equal unity. We see that these are two people who love the Lord. They're wise people. They have a high level of buy-in to the church, but that did not guarantee or equal harmony or unity in the church. So there's a war in the walls of the church at Philippi, and Paul was calling for peace talks. Now, what were the ladies arguing about anyway? What, what was the point of contention that was threatening the unity of the church? What was so divisive that news had traveled to the Apostle Paul? Do you know what it was? Hymns. Euodia wanted more hymns. And Syntyche wanted more fast, upbeat, contemporary choruses. Syntyche had gotten into Hillsong and... Iodia came from a more traditional background. She wanted choir robes, and she wanted the the choir to wear just plain, regular, everyday clothes. I'm just messing with you. They were fighting about masks. I'm I'm still messing with you. Y'all want me to finish? We don't know. We don't know. The, the, The subject of their disagreements never mentioned The centerpiece of their hostility is not disclosed. It could have been something doctrinal in nature. It could have been something personal between them. It could have been something ethical or disagreement maybe about church strategy or or direction. But we don't know, so we should not speculate. And a general rule of Bible study is where the Bible is silent, let it remain Silent. So we won't speculate. The funny thing about it is that what was going on with the two ladies was the exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul was calling for in the letter. Do you remember chapter 2, verses 1 and 2? He said this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then... Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And these two ladies were not rising to the challenge. The expectation is that our love for Jesus, our commitment to his cause and his church will produce oneness and unity and harmony, not animosity And division, but that's not always the case, is it? Even the Apostle Paul himself had a disagreement with two of his ministry partners, Barnabas and Peter. Sometimes we genuinely love Jesus, but we still disagree. One poet said it this way To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, That's a different story. What are some real reasons that brothers and sisters in Christ find themselves divided? Why is there conflict in the church? Here are some common issues. Some believers argue over doctrine. Here's a common scenario. That we agree on the core doctrines. You could call those essential doctrines. Doctrines, but have a different view on debatable issues like Calvinism and Arminianism or spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues or preferred translation of the Bible. Other believers might disagree on church practice, have a disagreement on worship style or missions strategy or discipleship curriculum. There could be a dispute on which way to minister to this particular group of people. Last week I was reading about two nationally known pastors who are in disagreement over church practice and one called the other a heretic and the other said, I hope heaven's so big that I'll never have to see him there. That's not made up. It's the real deal. Some disagree about church leadership. They have a different opinion on who should lead or how they should lead. Some disagree about church discipline or church staffing or how about church finances? Many churches argue over money, how to spend the money, how to be good stewards. And I am so grateful to be a part of a generous church under the leadership of a wise elder board who directs our spending. We're in a good place. And if there isn't enough to disagree about within the church, there are all kinds of issues that drive conflict from outside of the church. Social issues, political issues, Moral issues, relational issues, environmental issues. Romans 14, 19 says this. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to what? Peace and to mutual edification. Or as Paul pleaded for, please be of the same mind. There's an old saying about church harmony and unity that is um, stood up over the ages. And it says this. It says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in everything, charity. Let me explain it. There are essential non-negotiable issues that are actually worth fighting for. In these, we must have unity. Unity. Because if we disagree with essential church doctrine, then we're actually out of bounds. These are issues of orthodoxy and heresy. So in essentials, unity. We must contend for the faith, right? Well, what would be an example of that? Well, how about the Trinity or the deity of Christ or the virgin birth or the authority of the scriptures or salvation by grace through faith alone and Christ alone? Contend for the faith. But also remember that not everything is black and white. And on this level, there are also non-essential issues. There are some issues that are more gray than they are black and white. In Romans 14, Paul calls these issues disputable matters. In these areas, the scriptures leave room for variance. And therefore, we give liberty. We show grace. We want to have an opinion. We want to have a position and believe in it passionately, but we leave room for those who actually think or act differently in this area. Examples. Well, how about mode of baptism? Here at Fellowship, we believe in post-conversion, full immersion Baptism. But there may be a group down the street who loves the Lord and follows the scriptures and they sprinkle their converts. Are we going to war over that? Or how about what we did this morning? What we did this morning was called parent child dedication. And there may be a church down the street that does that in a totally different way. Than us. There are some areas where we give room to express differently frequency of communion, view of the end times. So we leave room, we give liberty. Now, in this tool, uh, this quote, you actually have a tool for you determining when to fight and when to show grace. There are things worth fighting for in essentials, unity. But there's also some things where we can give room to others, and they aren't worthy of division. Y'all understand this? For some of you, you're having an "Aha moment right now. You're like, "Oh my goodness, not everything's black and white, and I don't have to come to my spiritual discussions with an Eastern baseball bat." <laughs> others of you may be feeling a little squirmy right now because You've been taught that everybody can believe whatever they want. And I'm telling you that there are some things that we should fight for and contend for. So if you find yourself in a tug of war with a fellow believer, ask yourself this question Is the issue essential or non essential? And if it isn't essential, drop the rope. Where the Lord left room, give room. But look at the last line in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, what? Charity. Regardless of the subject matter, you're called to be kind and gracious. And this is where our culture has gone off the rails. Civility has been replaced with polarization. Carelessness has trumped kindness. And offending someone with whom you disagree has become the primary form of discourse. In essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things, charity. Back to the passage. What was Paul's reasoning for his call to unity? He gave two, look at the latter part of verse three. He says, help these women. Why? Since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. Paul appealed to them to be united because they had a shared cause and a shared eternity. They shared the bond of a common mission. There was actually alignment with these ladies on the purpose of the church. They were on the same team, contending for the gospel, striving for the same goal, and they had the shared trajectory of heaven. They shared eternity. They shared the bond of common belief. They were members of God's family, sisters in Christ, citizens of heaven, co-heirs of the kingdom. And Paul said, therefore, be of the same mind. Note in his call for unity that Paul didn't take a side. He didn't pass judgment on who was right or or who was wrong. That tells us this was a non-essential issue because Paul did not have a problem defending sound gospel. Read the book of Galatians. But he did show them what they had in common. And it was far more important and valuable than what they were bickering about. I love the way that Bible commentator J.A. Motier said, said it. He said, where there is agreement as to what the gospel is and what ought to be done with it, there's no room for personal disagreement. The one ought to exclude the other. Think about it. Agreement on the gospel is the most fundamental form of unity. It involves unity of mind, unity of heart, unity of purpose. And Paul was calling on Euodia and Syntyche to believe in something higher. He was asking for them to rise above their hurt feelings, their difference of opinion, and to unite around their calling and their eternity. I think Paul was giving a simple truth that the church should fight for the gospel and not with each other. Amen? We have something to fight for. It's the souls of men and women who are destined for an eternity. Apart from the loving arms of their father, we should be fighting for the gospel, not with each other. And it bothered Paul that the church was not unified because of this petty disagreement. It disturbed him that these ladies had so much in common, yet their alignment had been broken. Their unity had been broken. Our agreement on who God is and what he's done, our alignment on Jesus and the cross, on forgiveness and heaven, on doctrine and mission should so fill our hearts and our souls that it leaves little room for arguments about insignificant or non-essential things. The church should fight for the gospel and not with each other. Don't let disagreement on little things keep you from the main thing. Our allegiance to the king should produce unity in the kingdom. Gospel harmony should squeeze out personal hostilities. So let me just stop right here. And let's just have a moment of personal reflection. Are you living in harmony? Are you preserving unity in the family of God? Let's let the passage shine on our our own souls. Are you out of step, divided with, in conflict with someone who's a brother or a sister in the faith? Are you in a tug of war with someone in the church? Now ask yourself, is this an essential issue or a non-essential issue? Is this worthy of division because it's about orthodoxy or is it something I should just drop the rope on, heal the friction, apologize where I've been wrong? Maybe you need to write a letter, send a text, make a call this week and say, hey, I'm sorry and I love you and we have more in common than this little thing. Can we get a cup of coffee? The passage closes with verses four and five. And I'm gonna be a vulnerable, honest teaching pastor with you. I'm not really sure whether this passage goes with the one we're teaching today or whether it goes with next week. I'm gonna force it into today's passage. I'm gonna attempt to conclude our teaching today with these two verses. Paul closes his comments with two commands to imperatives that would certainly help heal the friction that was being experienced in the church. One Bible commentator called these imperatives for peaceful living. They say this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. First, Paul says, rejoice always. Followers of Jesus, eat, breathe, sleep, joy. It's our resting position And just in case you missed it, he followed it with, again, I say, rejoice. Joy is the basic position. It's the identity. It's the orientation of the Christ follower. Because Christ saved us. Because he's forgiven us. Because he's renewing us. Because we live in this world with hope for heaven in the next. We have confident, unyielding joy. We have a spring of joy within us regardless of our circumstances. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. And here's what I've found. It's hard to harbor bitterness towards your brother or sister in Christ when you're overflowing with joy. Have you ever tried to be mad at your sibling or your parent or your coworker when you're just really joyful? It's hard. So maybe Paul's offering an antidote for bitterness and division and focusing on our joy. Paul's second command is to bear the fruit of gentleness. A rejoicing spirit is a gentle spirit. It's difficult to be harsh when you're resting in the joy of God. Gentleness, tender reasonableness is a prescription for Eudion and Sintiki. And Paul closes with a reminder that the Lord is near, both in his person and his return. Hey, we've got too little time to be wasting it on petty disagreements and bickering. Amen. Our trajectory is unity. There will be no division or conflict in heaven. Our future reality is one of peace and harmony. Heaven is described as a place where the lion will lay down with the lamb. And guess what? Euodia and Syntyche are gonna be holding hands in heaven. And on the last day, we will all be on the same page because every single person in this room will bow before the Lord and confess with one tongue and one heart that he is king. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord Jesus, I thank you for passages like this where the scriptures show that the church isn't perfect and certainly ours isn't either. Ours is full of broken people like me who are passionate about our opinions, so Lord, I just pray that this text motivates us, it inspires us and equips us to pursue peace, harmony, and unity within our church and within the church universal. And Lord, I pray that we would be your agents of peace. So where we're out of step with your spirit, where we're out of bounds with our brother and sister in Christ, I pray that you would reign us back in even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's been a good day. Hey, thanks for coming today, for worshiping with us. We will see you next week. If you need prayer, the Campbells are in the prayer room to your right, my left. We'd love to pray with you for anything. We'll see you next week, fellowship.